Well, happy Thursday night, everyone, and welcome in another edition of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario with you tonight for an hour, leading you up to Thursday night football. Got the Indianapolis Colts and the Tennessee Titans kicking things off. You'll hear that action here on 101 ESPN, but an hour of hockey talk to get you up until Thursday night football. Usually this is where I welcome in my partner, Joe Vitale. We go back and forth and have some fun. Problem is, Joey thought, well, he might as well big time me on this one. He told me, quote unquote, he has a big commercial that he's shooting for the Blues, <laughs> so he's unavailable this week. And I said, sure, no problem, Joe. We'll figure things out. My go-to guy, my uh, ace in the hole, so to speak, is Jeremy Rutherford of the Athletic. So Joe is going to be a healthy scratch, Jr. We're going to make him the healthy scratch, and I'm putting you in the line shift tonight. Well, he's been scuffling. He's been low on energy. I've been watching him, and uh, <laughs> I think that, you know, this could serve him well, one night up in the box and just watch how it's done. And <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I've been chomping at the bit here and finally get into the lineup for the first time in a few months, and uh, we'll see what I can do. You know, it's one of those things he's been locked up with his kids for so long. He's got a baby at home, which uh, doesn't make me very envious of what's to come. Um, but, uh, you know, he has been a little slack lately uh, you know the broadcast has been struggling uh, I think his voice is going a little weak on me so I think it's good for him to take a seat up in the box and just kind of pay attention to how it's done excuses excuses how many blues uh, their wives had babies and the <laughs> next night they scored a goal like there was a four of them a couple years yeah, ago. yeah he so. lost that dad energy I guess from his time in the American Hockey League unbelievable so that's yeah. what's gonna happen but no JR we're excited to have you pop on with us tonight buddy and uh, get into a lot of I guess uncertainty right now in the NHL which is crazy to to think of and uh we got a couple of uh really cool topics i want to get into one of them is your uh a co-worker on the athletic put an article out on the trust base and not just the blues franchise but in other franchises um of course the unfortunate news this week we found out of Jaden schwartz's dad passing away uh you got a, a really cool story about that that i want to get into and then we're gonna hear from larry robinson a little bit later on who joined ribs and bk earlier today to talk about colton pareko um justin falk tory krug really great interview with the hall of famer so make sure you stay tuned uh, for that one. But JR, first things first, man, what's life been like for you with no hockey? I mean, at least before it was no hockey, but there was some hockey to come. Now it's been zero hockey since Tory Krug signed. Yeah, it's been a little uh, difficult, but uh, I'll take anything over the bubble, Alex. Oh, yeah. uh, you know, that was tough. You're, you're doing the Zoom interviews and you're asking these questions that you know you're not going to get much uh, response from the players and, and Coach Bruby. But hey, look, we, we had to do what we had to do to provide the content throughout that postseason. Uh, but now, you know, guys are settled in, whether they're here in St. Louis or, or they're back home, and you can catch them on the phone and uh, I think do some some in-depth stories, get them uh, on the phone for a bit. And so a guy like Colton Preco, for example, last week spoke to him for about a half hour and turned around a piece on what it's going to be like for him stepping into Alex Petrangelo's shoes and won't necessarily be playing more minutes because he's been gobbling up minutes for years, but now he's going to have that label as a number one defenseman. So uh, stories like that are the ones I'm looking for just to kind of whet the appetite of Blues here uh, during a quiet time before we get this uh, next season going. Yeah, well, you're doing an awesome job covering the stuff in the offseason. If you don't find his work or look at his work, make sure you subscribe to The Athletic uh, or you can follow him on Twitter at JP Rutherford. So, JR, right now it's, it's uncertainty still, and Joe, and I have talked about this for the last few weeks of when the NHL could come back and what it's going to look like, how it's going to work. And we really don't know anything, but we do know that they're having conversations, which is a good thing. And January 1st is what Gary Bettman is shooting for. And I want to just start with that because January 1st to me 
sounds like a pipe dream. I mean, if you think about it, in all reality, you kind of have to give teams extended training camps for the ones that didn't play in the postseason. And then on top of all of that, you kind of have to make sure that you have all of your ducks in a row. You got to make sure that you can get back on time and you got to figure out what you're doing. It just seems like a pipe dream right now for Gary Bettman in the NHL to turn this around that fast. Yeah, you know, I think they're they're being a little optimistic with January 1st, but everything that I've read, heard, and the people I've spoken to, Alex, uh, is that that's what they're shooting for. And so they're looking for a, a training camp to start around December 15th and to uh, start play around January 1st. You know, I think it's good to, to focus that way. And then, look, if you don't play in, until January 15th, uh, you're close to the schedule. I think the NHL, even uh, as they did with the bubbles in Edmonton and Toronto, I think they know a lot about what they want to do. A lot of the plans are laid. Um, but I don't think they want to say too much publicly because then if it doesn't happen, then you open yourself up to questions. So so I think that uh, you know Pierre Lebrun's done a great job with The Athletic uh, talking about the return to play committee. They have uh, a lot of members, even more yeah. uh, than they did uh, when they were going to Toronto and Edmonton. And so uh, that group is going to get together soon and, and talk. And, uh, you know, I think that even if it's not January 1st, uh, we should be looking at hockey in January. So you feel like there's going to be hockey, though, because Joe Joe threw out the possibility that there really couldn't be. Like, they could decide to just toss this season and look towards next year and have a full season with more certainty, um, which I guess is always a possibility. But I think now the NBA's return I don't want to say forces the hand of the NHL because, like, they got television contracts to deal with. They got to pay players. But it does kind of force Gary Bettman to try and get things expedited a little bit because you can't sit here as the NHL and say, well, we're not sure if we can pull this off again where the NBA is saying, hey, we're coming back and we're coming back fast. Yeah, I think two things. I think that's a great point. The the second I saw the headline that said uh, NBA coming back in, what is it, December 22nd, yeah. I believe, mm-hmm. I, I thought, you know what, they're going to play hockey because these leagues kind of work off each other. And, you know, uh, just remember when they were they were playing basketball and they were playing hockey and we weren't playing baseball, right? Yeah. Baseball took a ton of criticism because the other sports were playing. But furthermore, you know what, that, that was a, a difficult situation to uh, finish off last season and they did a phenomenal job now are they going to have that bubble Alex where uh, everybody goes to Edmonton and Toronto for you know multiple months and, and everybody enjoys it no the players don't want to do that again so they're going to have to sit down and talk to the NHL about a better plan but you know we've all read and heard some of uh, the ideas you know going to these uh, multiple bubble cities and maybe you go there for two weeks and uh, play eight games and then you come back home I think the players could live with that. I mean, you, I remember going on road trips with uh, the Blues that were 10, 11 days <laughs> long where you played six or seven games. So it's not too much different than one of those extended road trips. Yeah, and I think so too. And I tell you, JR, uh, I forgot who put the article out. I think it was just kind of a committee article, right, where yeah, they were polling article. players. Um, and I was really surprised when 72%, I believe, or something like that came back from the player side that said, yeah, we'd be willing to do a partial season of hub city slash bubbles because I think they also know that, look, one thing's one. you, you got to get back because of the television contracts. But, of course, they want to get paid. And they want to come back. But a bubble for a short term seems like it's possible. A bubble for an entire season, there was no way you were going to get any players to be willing to take that on. No, not at all. And when there's no end in sight and you wake up every day, 
and it's the same uh, monotony. And, and then also a lot of things that were promised. You know, I'm just going to use uh, fly fishing for example, right. some golf. It just never materialized. Hikes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hikes, and and so those players are pretty upset about that. Which you know, by the way, is when they sit down and and have these uh, committee meetings. Obviously, that stuff's going to be brought up. Hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to have to have these things. Uh, guaranteed, and let's not forget that uh, the American families never got into that bubble. Yeah, uh, that was planned, and it didn't happen because the Canadian government wouldn't allow the those American families to come across the border and have exempt status. Uh, but you know, getting back to uh, the the point about you're going to a place for a couple weeks, and you know, could Vegas be a bubble? It could be. I think there's uh, some American cities. Uh, that that could be a bubble, and you're there for a couple of weeks. You play six or eight games, and you know when you're coming home. That's the biggest thing. There wasn't an end in sight when they were up in Edmonton. Well, and Gary Bettman uh, p- tossed it out there too. I believe it was kind of on a, uh, a, a, a kind of town hall meeting that he did with Adam Silver and Rob Manfred a couple of days ago. He tossed it out there and said, "Don't be surprised if you see both when the season starts up, where some." Part of the league is playing in hub cities slash bubbles, and some are playing in their home stadiums. Which, to me, when he said that, I'm thinking, well, maybe you're only going to get a Canadian hub because we've heard we know by now yeah. that the Canadians aren't going to allow Americans in unless you quarantine themselves. So you might see that hub city. Uh, slash division of the Canadian side where you go up there for a week and you play all the Canadian teams and then the rest come back in the United States and play in their home stadiums. Yeah, I think whatever they decide, though, it's just going to have to be uniform. I mean, you can't have one group of teams that, that are just playing one another and the others can kind of bounce around. So, you know, the way I see it right now, it's still going to be uh, you know, replicate some sort of divisional play where you play the same teams within your division, and and uh, we'll have to see what those look like. Let me ask you this, Jr. And again, we don't know all of these answers because this is just kind of speculation at this point. But at least it's good news that the conversations are happening. Happening. What do you think those those training camps are going to look like? Because think about teams like the Detroit Red Wings, who haven't touched the ice as a team since what February, early March, before the the pandemic hit and things were shut down. I mean, to to be right now as a player where you don't know when the season's going to start, how fast you're going to have as much time to come back, I'm imagining those training camps are going to kind of be a scuffle for some people of, okay, here we go. Let's like, here's the, here's the gun shooting off at the starting line. We got to go right now and get started. There might be some, some hiccups along the way with that. Yeah. And it's kind of been already discussed slash negotiated where those seven teams that didn't make the playoffs are going to get a a head start on on the rest of the league. I think if I'm not mistaken, it was seven days, you know, a week, uh, perhaps more where the Detroits and the Ottawa's and some of those teams will be able to reconvene sooner than the uh, other 24 that were in the return to play. But, you know, where are those training camps going to be held? Are they in Canada? Does a guy like Brady Kachuk need to go to uh, Canada and quarantine for 14 days before he starts a camp in in, uh, in Ottawa? Uh, we'll have to see. So those are the, the questions that the two sides, both the league and the PA, are going to have to settle on. Yeah, we'll have to find out. And I would imagine this is going to kind of pick up uh, some steam over the next couple of days just because the NHL, of course, if they're shooting for January 1st, has a very short time frame to try and get this turned around and agreed upon uh, for the NHL to come back. He's Jeremy Rutherford. He's sitting in for Joe Vitale. Tonight, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is This Week in Hockey. When we come back, an article on The Athletic talked about the faith from fan bases and from a public opinion on front offices in the NHL. Really interesting in some of the numbers with just the St. Louis Blues, but for some other teams as well. We'll dive into that with Jeremy Rutherford next here on 101 ESPN.
Back in here on a Thursday night this week in hockey, Alex Ferrario, Jeremy Rutherford sitting in for Joe Vitale tonight. Joey V will be back with us next week and unless he decides to take another week off, JR. And then I guess I'll just be calling you again. So you might get a lot of work uh, in the offseason here. But uh, I want to get into a, uh, a piece that one of your coworkers put out on The Athletic, uh, Dom I'm just going to say Dom L because this guy has probably the most difficult last name to use. I believe there's four Z's in it. There's three Y's. He's got to be Polish because my wife's maiden name was Polish and it had two Z's in it. So I'm not even going to try with the last name. We'll just say Dom L. Well, I don't know if it's the same in uh, Canada, but I know in the United States, at least it used to be when I was a kid, you had to be able to spell your entire name, including your last name, before you got your library card. So I remember (laughs) Alex sitting in the library parking lot with my mom and dad, and we were practicing spelling the last name How before old? we went in there. I, I was probably like 22 or something <laughs> like that. But, but uh, no, Dom definitely does. I feel embarrassed. I don't know how to pronounce one of my colleagues' uh, last names. Well, but he puts great pieces out. You know the, the the first rule in broadcasting, though. If you say it with authority... Authority or you say it really fast? Yeah, exactly. Like you say it fast enough so nobody knows that you messed up on it. So let's try this. Dom, let's say his last name, okay, and I want on. you to say it with authority and fast, and then they'll think you know what you're talking okay, about. Okay, here we go. We're gonna. I got to pull it up so I can actually look at it and see what it's spelled like. Okay, so Dom Lushizen of The Athletic put an article out the other day. That's exactly right. Okay, that's where we're going to go with and I am a genius when it comes to that. Funny story (laughs) about that. So my wife, as I mentioned, her maiden name was Polish, so when we were dating she told me, can't date until you can spell and pronounce my last name. (laughs) And I'm not even joking, to this day, a couple of of hours it took for me to sit there. It was like (laughs) P-A-S-Z-K-I-E C-I-W-Z I'm like, what is wrong with this? So Thank God she changed it over to Ferrario, and we didn't have to worry about that one. But anyway, so Dom put an article out. uh, The 2020 NHL front office confidence rankings, fans weigh in on every team. And so what he did was he took everybody's every team in the NHL and he did a poll with the fan base and then he did a poll with public opinion, which I'm assuming, JR, that public opinion was kind of people in hockey, people that know a little bit about hockey, just getting their impressions of the team, correct? Yeah, I think the rest of the fan base is looking at your team. Yeah, okay, so so we did two different rules with this one, and the Blues came in, if I'm not mistaken, they came in at number six, six overall on his list with a 3.7 ranking, which is down from last year two spots. And he talks a little bit about, of course, the decision with Alex Petrangelo kind of making a, a, taking an effect on this list for some fan bases. But I got to tell you, JR, I was a little surprised at some of these numbers. So for the fan base, in terms of cap management, they had a one point better opinion than the public opinion as trust in the St. Louis Blues organization. A 3.8 draft and develop, a 4.5 trade, which really caught me, JR, because everybody's big hiccup right now with the Blues was making that trade for Justin Falk and giving him an extension. Yeah, I think we have to break this down. I think, uh, first of all, Alex, uh, at the Post-Dispatch for 20 years, covered the Blues for about 14 or 15 of those, and then now this is uh, third or fourth season at the Athletic covering the Blues. And I can tell you that... uh, the opinion of what the GM does is based on the last thing that he's done. Yeah. <laughs> when, when you're Doug Armstrong and you trade for Ryan O'Reilly, 
you can't get any higher in yeah. the public, uh, you know, how they look at you, the public meter. Uh, but I think if you have a situation where you, you've traded for a Justin Falk, he doesn't play well, uh, maybe Alex Petrangelo gets gets uh, gets to free agency, and now he's signed with uh, Las Vegas, then you have a situation where, hey, maybe there are people uh, scratching their heads. But what I think with this poll, and I think Dom L. does a tremendous job <laughs> with this, is that, look, the Blues just won the Stanley Cup two years ago. Right. So the fans are happy right now and and i realize eventually that that period wears off but i think people are genuinely happy uh, for the work that Doug Armstrong and the Blues have done now have they made some moves that you could second guess yes and i think that's why you see the large discrepancy between what the public and we're talking non-blues fans yeah. the public non-blues fans graded the team and how the Blues fans graded the team because you saw that those Blues fans percentage mm-hmm. is much higher. They still feel strongly about the work that the organization has done, whereas other people might see, hey, they had a lousy year. They didn't, in terms of in the bubble, right. uh, the postseason, and in terms of allowing Alex Petrangelo to get away. So I'm going to mark him a little bit lower. But I think uh, for the most part, uh, the fans spoke here, and, and they like the direction of the team. And I think you make a great point with that, too, especially when it comes to winning the Stanley Cup. Like, everything's going to be high. Even if it was two years ago, you're going to be high on that because of what Doug Armstrong was able to accomplish of trading for O'Reilly, signing Pat Maroon, you know, bringing in a Justin Falk and bringing in a Tory Krug. Like, all of those things really make an effect. I think the part that just surprised me was – how different it was from public opinion to fan base. Because we know, JR, we're, we're born and raised from St. Louis. St. Louis hockey fans, baseball fans, they're very intelligent fans. Like, they know what's going on. They know the ins and outs of organizations. And they also they also kind of grade teams with the heart on their sleeve, a little bit more than what other fan bases do. Like, I'll give you, you know, in football, if a team sucks, you're going to know that they suck. <laughs> if they're mediocre, in their eyes, they suck. If a team's mediocre in St. Louis, you see that as, okay, but they're building towards something. Yeah. And I think this one, to me, at least screamed, there is a lot more optimism for what the future is for the Blues rather than pessimism, which five years ago, heck, three years ago, I felt like this was a completely different message we were hearing. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example here. Look at Colorado. Colorado finishes number one yeah. in the entire list. You're talking about public opinion and you're talking about the Colorado Avalanche fan base uh, come together and to give them the, the best ranking. And so they finished number one. Uh, Colorado, Alex, finished 27 in this uh, just a couple of years ago. It's incredible. And so, look, here's a team that uh, well, they lose to Dallas in the uh, bubble. Yeah. And uh, everybody thought this was a team that, along with Tampa Bay, could win the Stanley Cup. You would think there's some disappointment there. Well, no, because of what Joe Sackick has been able to do and some of these players he's been able to, to bring in, and obviously McKinnon's uh, a superstar, uh, they like the direction of that team, and, and not just the fan base, uh, but the people outside of Colorado, too. So so I think um, it's a situation, Alex, where uh, you know your team the best, and you know what they're trying to do, 
and uh, other teams look, hey, how far do they go in the postseason? And, and that's why I think you have a little bit of the discrepancy. Yeah, well, and again, they sit sixth in this ranking of all 31 teams. It's fifth if you go by just the fan base, 11th if you go by public opinion, if that tells you anything. So you mentioned Colorado. Colorado, that's really surprising. I guess it shouldn't be because of how good the team is, but from 27th a couple of years ago all the way up to where they are now, very impressive. And I think that's big on the public opinion, too, from what they've done. I'll tell you the one that really caught me off guard, JR, was the Detroit Red Wings. I mean, they are at number four on this list. And a lot of this is Steve Iserman. You know, trust the Iser plan is what people are saying in Detroit right now, which makes a lot of sense. But, I mean, it's not like they they have these, these overwhelming prospects that you're excited about, like a Colorado or a Tampa, where you look at the players that are up and coming. They're a team that still is probably five years away from competing and going after some big fishes out there. Like they haven't selected first overall, like the Ottawa Senators have or like the Buffalo Sabres have. I like that to me from public opinion, which was a little bit lower than what the fan base was. That surprised the hell out of me that it jumps that fast for Steve Eiserman. Yeah, well, first of all, I mean, it is Steve Eiserman, and uh, he is... <laughs> Track record alone tells you that he's on a good spot. He's the captain, yeah. And so they were uh, extremely elated, that fan base, when uh, Steve Eiserman came in. You have the new building. Uh, you know, I think Eiserman's come in, and he has done some good things, Alex. Um, you yeah. know, maybe not some things that are going to attract headlines around uh, the NHL, but he's weeded out some of the players that I think the fan base uh, knew weren't going to be able to take them to the next level and uh, look he makes the trade with st louis he brings in robbie fabry and and fabry plays pretty well for the red wings obviously not the answer to all their problems up there but i think just generally speaking from the moment eiserman took over there it's kind of been a a fever pitch and people thinking that he he can uh, take us to that level and so i think that it's going to be a slow build with detroit this isn't anything where next year they're going to be a contender it might not be a couple years but some some good young players larkin still Young and, and some others that they've brought in. So um, maybe not four on my list, but uh, <laughs> I, I do think that uh, if you would have told me they finish in the top 10 or 15, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, Steve Eiserman can do no wrong in Detroit. So <laughs> even if he struggles, which I don't see happening for how good Tampa has been, he can do no wrong for that Detroit Red Wings organization. One more, JR, I wanted to bring up to you Vegas. So Vegas sat at 12th in this. Uh, on public opinion, they were sixth. Fan base, they were 16th, and the low spots for Vegas was cap management and draft and develop. Draft and develop, it's hard to say right now because you're only, what, three years into kind of their organization, so it's hard to grade them where they'd be at. But cap management is the one that got me. And I guess you look at that team and you grade it by cap management and you say, well, they got a lot of, like, Mark Andre Fleur, that contract doesn't look great. But it was an expansion draft, and I mean, they had to accept some of those salaries. Honestly, the way that Vegas has run the organization, in my eyes, has been impressive for how they've developed and turned things around so fast with all of those heavy contracts that they took on. Yeah, big picture, I think, in terms of competing, and we know the first year would happen, going all the way to the Stanley Cup yeah. Finals, Blues fans were going nuts thinking if this team <laughs> wins, wins a cup before we do. Uh, but I, I think it's a situation now where they've been around for a few years, and you know, in, in terms of the cap management, look, they were, what, $5 million over when they made the trade for Alex Petrangelo, or, or I'm sorry, when they acquired Alex Petrangelo. Yeah. So they had to to move some cap, move Paul Stastny. You sign Robin Leonard, and now he had the uh, shoulder surgery. They can't find a taker for Marc-Andre Fleury. So I think there are some cap issues there. 
And it's it's not necessarily a problem. All teams around the league, a lot of them are, are battling the mm-hmm. uh, the cap situation. So, you know, that one doesn't bother me. I think the, the development, um, if you look at successful teams around the NHL, uh, it's the teams that are going to be able to uh, draft players and bring them along mm-hmm. and uh, get them at a relatively low price so they, c- they can fit these guys under the cap. If you look what Vegas has done, yeah, they did have the expansion draft where they inherited a lot of uh, contracts, uh, but look at their premier players, you know, a, a Mark Stone, uh, some of these guys, uh, Petrangelo, they bring in in free agency. Yeah. Yes, that can make them contenders this year, next year, and they're going to win. But at some point, uh, some players are going to have to come through the draft and, and be groomed at that Henderson team, uh, their new AHL yeah. affiliate, and come up and be able to contribute so they're not going out and overpaying for a lot of these players. Gives you a little bit different appreciation for Doug Armstrong from a fan base looking outside of St. Louis to where, you know, even with the Alex Petrangelo stuff, like, yeah, it's hard to accept, but you also look at it and you say, well, Doug Armstrong's done one thing right his entire time here. He's been able to turn things over and keep things rolling, which some teams like Vegas, you might not be able to say three years from now if they put themselves in cap hell, like other teams we've seen, Chicago Blackhawks, um, Jeez, uh, I mean, there's a couple of them out there that have put themselves in bad positions to not be able to do stuff. Yeah, and you know, not resigning David Backus, not resigning Alex Petrangelo. Obviously, the players had a role in that, mm-hmm. but Doug's made some very difficult decisions. You know, and, and let's face it, you know, the Blues aren't where they are if they can't rely on some of these players who they are you know, supposedly you know developing. Yeah. Like a Colton Pareko comes up, and a couple of years later, he's part of that Stanley Cup team. They're in a situation this year where they're without a Vladimir Tarasenko, and they're legitimately counting on a Robert Thomas and or a Jordan Cairo to mm-hmm. come in and help fill some of the void. So I think uh, that's where you have uh, some confidence in the Blues in, in terms of uh, the fans looking at the draft and development. And that's why you've seen the Blues draft over the last couple of years more forward prospects than defensemen or goaltenders because that is kind of a shallow spot right now in the organization of drafting prospects who can play the forward position for you. Yeah, and the prospect pool with the Blues right now isn't as good as it was before. And in part, that's because a lot of those guys have had to come up and, and play. So it's not like you got a lot of uh, younger guys waiting in right. the wings. They're definitely going to have to replenish that. Uh, but that's a big part of this. And so, you know, tying it back to, uh, to Dom's ranking, here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think the Blues are about where you'd expect a, a team that recently won the Cup. People are happy. Uh, they do have some uh, good young talent on the roster, and they have faith in some of the moves uh, trade-wise that Doug Armstrong has made. Look, do I need to mention, you know, the names Yori Laterra, <laughs> Patrick Berglund, Vladimir Saboka. The highway robbery that he pulled off in the NHL. Yeah, so I think we'll still be, you know, people still feel good about those deals 10 years from now, so they certainly uh, as they look at his body of work the yeah. last 10 years, it's been pretty remarkable. It's Jeremy Rutherford. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's This Week in Hockey. We're going to come back. Some tough news over the week, uh, or this past week, I should say, for a current Blues player. We'll get into that and how there's uh, kind of always light at the end of the tunnel with things like this so we'll dive into that next here with jeremy on 101 espn back in here on a thursday night this week in hockey jeremy rutherford sitting in for my partner joe vitale tonight alex ferrario with you if you miss any of the show you can catch it on the uh, podcast after the show 101 espn.com or wherever you get your podcasts from uh, this week in hockey you just search for uh, and you can check out all of the uh, content that we have here throughout the off season and in season larry robinson is going to be a part of the show coming up in our next segment but jr i wanted to get to some tough news that we found out this past 
week uh, for Blues Nation, uh, and that's uh, Jaden Schwartz's father. Rick passes away at the age of 59, I believe he was. Uh, kind of a sudden death that nobody saw coming. I don't think there was any health issues with Rick. Um, some really tough news to hear. One from the personal side, because I know you've seen Rick a lot because you've been on those dad's trips. Um, I've seen Rick at practices before, had the chance to talk with him a couple of times. But then you think about Jaden, and you think about the hits that this kid has had to suffer from with losing his sister at a young age because of cancer. And then, of course, now his dad passing away at the age of 59. So uh, some really terrible news. But but I wanted to talk about this because, one, I know you got some stories about Rick Schwartz in general because you've covered him when he's with the team. But, two, the good that has come from that family and so much that they've done in call in terms of called be the match so i'll let you take it away first things first jared let's start with just stories of rick because he's been around this team a lot since these dad strips started about five years ago yeah you know Jaden was part of that uh, draft in 2010 alex where the blues got uh, Jaden number 14 overall and tarasenko number 16 overall and i wasn't familiar with his sister mandy's story uh, prior to him getting uh, drafted but when he did and then it becomes a st louis story you know, quote unquote um, you know i reached out out to Rick and his wife Carol and the family and they just uh, could not have been more accommodating. I mean talking about their daughter and uh, you know I believe uh, she passed in in 2011 and and just to ask those questions about how they were dealing with it. He would just be like, "Okay, yeah, and uh, you know, here's my wife Carol and you know, any questions you got, I'll talk about it and and we want to yeah. you know, promote uh, bone marrow registry and and you know, you, you could call him at any time. I'd text him, you know, you might get a text, you know, how Jaden look at practice today or or what have you and and just a joy to be around. So then they started doing the the father's trips, the dad's trips yeah. and these guys would show up and they were just a hoot and you could tell <laughs> Uh, I think one of the Blues dads has already said this, so I'm kind of repeating. But Rick looked like the uh, life of the party. I think Doug Armstrong might have said that. He, you, you just watched the the lower bowl during practice, and uh, everybody was kind of circled around him. And, and you watched uh, the Blues games on Fox Sports Midwest, and, and they'd show the suite where all the dads were, and you'd see Rick right in the middle of it. Um, so I think that... You know, kind of being the elder statesman, Jaden's been around for a while. Yeah, um, he he was just a, a joy to be around. So, furthermore, with the Mandy Schwartz Foundation, look, he loses his daughter to cancer. It, it's it's just awful. And you know, yeah, sure, a lot of families create foundations or, or or go the extra mile to get the word out. And and so from that regard, maybe the Schwartzes you know, aren't too many, too much different than people in the, in those situations. But Rick and Carol Schwartz, I mean, they did everything for the foundation, answering emails, doing everything they could. And, and so they had a be the match, uh, awareness, uh, campaign mm-hmm. and, uh, they brought it to, it was then I think Scott trade center, now enterprise center and Alex, um, they are literally having blues fans walk over and do swabs during the game, during the intermission. And, uh, fortunately, uh, just a few years ago, there was a 10 for 10 match, a blues fan named Michael Hellrich. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a match uh, for Reagan, a, a teenage girl in Alabama who had cancer. And uh, they were able to go through the procedure. And now here we are talking about Reagan, 21 years old, who's alive and well in Alabama. I have her on Facebook and, and uh, see the, the progress that she's made. And it's all because of the Schwartz family and them getting the word out. And so, you know, if I just uh, 
you know, could say anything about Rick Schwartz. It would just be so dedicated to his family, so dedicated to his daughter's cause, even, you know, just off the charts more than even talking to him about Jaden's hockey career. He, he just wanted to help people. And I think before his you know, uh, sudden passing here, he was definitely able to do that. And I remember that moment at Enterprise Center, then Scott Trade Center, when uh, when uh, the uh, Michael, who was the match basically for the uh, the young teenage girl who who needed the help. I remember that the ceremony that they had on the ice, and they walked her around at practice, and then at the game, took her in the locker room, and Jaden and Rick would take pictures uh, with her family. And you could tell Rick was kind of choked up from that. And I know you kind of walked around with him when you were putting together a story and you put the story back out on your Twitter account, J.P. Rutherford, uh, talking about the impact of the Schwartz family and saving that young teenage girl's life. But this wasn't just something that he was a part of. This was something that meant a whole hell of a lot to him. Yeah, you do these interviews, uh, Alex, and you know as well, a lot of times you might be sitting at a table with uh, somebody, a player, what have you. Um, This situation, I was walking around with Rick and Carol in the lower bowl of uh, the arena. And, um, you know, so we're walking stride for stride. And I have my microphone uh, generally, you know, in the area, his his mouth and mm-hmm. you know so I'm, I'm getting the interview that way and and anyway um, there were times where he would uh, start tearing up and uh, and start to to cry a little bit and I'd stop the recorder and you know pull it down and and we'd stop I say hey Rick listen you know I know this is tough um, we can do this later we don't have to do this now and he, no 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 let's do it now <laughs> let's do it now and you know Carol would look at me and and say it, it's tough for him it's tough for all of us and and I said uh, you know I I, I, I totally understand. But they wanted to get the word out. And Alex, you know, a lot of times uh, you work on these stories as a journalist, you know as well, um, you're just not heavily involved. You, you write the story from other people's point of view, the story runs, and you move on. This story, because of the emotion that I felt from Rick and Carol, I said to myself, you know what, I want to register. So in between periods of the Blues game, you know, you got that 15 minutes. I ran down there and, and did the swab, and it just took a couple minutes. And, yeah. and uh, you know, they turn in the kit, and, and perhaps I'll get an email one of these days saying that I'm a match for somebody. So I guess, um, you know, when I think about what they meant and, and what they were putting off in terms of the emotion level, um, I can just tell you that it drove me to want to go down and and maybe even miss the first couple minutes of the next period uh, because I felt strongly about uh, registering. That's incredible. Well, if, and if you're curious about the organization, that's the Mandy Schwartz Foundation. It's at mandy17.org, and you can donate there. Um, it just, again, it's tough to sit here and think about from what Jaden's had to go through. I mean, this is a guy who's not even 30 years old, lost his sister, lost his dad. Um, and I was reading Jim Thomas's chat today on the Post-Dispatch, and he said that, you know, Braden Shen has kind of gone up to Saskatoon to be with him and the family. Alexander Steen made the arrangements to get Jaden Schwartz's brother back to with them in Canada, who was playing over in Germany. So these players stick together, and I can only imagine the emotions Jaden Schwartz is going through right now with an offseason of uncertainty and then, of course, with his dad passing away. So our thoughts and prayers, of course, are with Jaden, Carol, and the entire Schwartz family. I do have one quick story I wanted to say because I remember being in Boston 
for Game 7, and we were on the ice during the celebration and everything, and the Blues put out a picture when they posted about his passing, and it was Rick celebrating with the Stanley Cup, was standing right next to them at the time that Jaden handed it off to his dad. I don't think I've ever seen somebody as ecstatic as Rick Schwartz, and I mean, we see these dads all the time on these trips and close with these players, but I mean, that guy hoisted that cup over his head like he scored the game-winning goal of Game 7 against the Boston Bruins. It was incredible. Yeah, and I'm glad you got to witness that. It was incredible. We got to see a lot of those uh, situations that night but um, now in hindsight you look at how that unfolded right in front of you Alex yeah. and how Jaden is going to be able to have that memory mm-hmm. for the rest of his life because look this was sudden it's not like he was sick and you knew it was coming right. it was sudden and, and I will say this real quick is that um, you know I've tried to talk to Jaden over the years about Mandy yeah. and um, he, he just doesn't want to which is totally understandable and and so um, you don't push obviously Mm -hmm. Uh, you let him have his space and 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 so um, I say that because I I can't imagine now what he's going through right you know first his sister and now his his dad and and now you know his mom Carol's going to be back in uh, Saskatchewan with you know friends there mm-hmm. but uh but not rick and yeah and that's tough and and so i just can't imagine what Jaden's going through right now yeah well and again thoughts and prayers with Jaden, carol and the entire shorts family uh with all of that no real way to transition from this but again if you want to you can donate to check it out the mandy schwartz foundation at mandy 17.org uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and play some of the uh, interview from larry robinson on ribs and bk earlier today jr appreciate you jumping in for uh, joe vitale and uh i'm sure we'll be having you hop on the show again down the road how'd i do some good shifts do i get back in soon or? i would say that was that was top six forward potential right there <laughs> something that joe struggled to get to all right he's gonna hate me for that he's probably <laughs> gonna hurt me for that one so i'm gonna pretend i didn't say it jr thanks a lot man thanks buddy we'll take a break come back larry robinson the hockey hall of famer next here on this week in hockey on 101 espm Welcome back. Our final time here tonight on This Week in Hockey. A huge thank you to Jeremy Rutherford for joining us this evening, uh, stepping in for Joe Vitale, who will be back next week with us, and hopefully we'll have an update to give to a lot of people when it comes to the NHL's return. As the NHL and the NHLPA we talked about earlier in the hour, uh, hopefully making some progress to a return for the season. Before we get out of here, though, I have to bring back an interview that we did earlier today on Ribs and BK. Usually we don't re-air stuff here on This Week in Hockey, but I thought the interview was so perfect for what we've been talking about and what so many Blues fans are asking without Alex Petrangelo. What's going to happen with Colton Pareko? Can he progress? What about Justin Falk? What about Tory Krug? And the defense in a hole right now. Well, who better to talk to than a guy who has won 10 Stanley Cups, a guy who was a consultant for the Blues the last couple of years, and a Hockey Hall of Famer, a top 100 player in the NHL history, and that's Larry Robinson. Larry joined Ribs and BK earlier today to talk about Pareko's per- progression and a couple of the other players on the blue line. So take a listen. Larry Robinson on Ribs and BK. For fans now looking for Colton Pareko to take that next step, what are some of the things that he's done really well in the last couple of years? And then in your opinion, what are some of the things that could advance him even more moving forward? Well, I, I think um, uh, Colton's uh, worst enemy is himself. Um, uh, re- he, he really does remind me a lot of myself. Uh, maybe I had a little, maybe a little quicker temper when I was younger, uh, but um, we both probably, uh, were, ha- if we had one fault, it we, is that we were too kind. And um, 
when you're in his case, he's like I think he's six six, two forty five or something like that. Whereas I was around six four, maybe two twenty, uh, in my playing days. But um, the guy that helped me out was Al McNeil when he he said, "Listen, a guy of your size, unless you play physical and unless you're mean, and you know, and and uh, show show the opposition that uh, you're not going to take any crap, then uh, you're gonna you're gonna struggle every night." And I think in in Colton's case, um, he started to use his body a lot more, his size. He, and he's he's such he's such an underrated skater because he's so big. Nobody realizes that just how quick he is. But uh, when you watch him out there, I mean, he's sometimes up on the play, but yet he's the first guy back. So um, he's a gr- he's a great skater. But uh, I, I think for him to take the next step, he's going to have to do um, like uh, similar to what was told to me is that he's going to have to get a little meaner. And when you become a little meaner and you're that big. You get a little more time with the puck. You get a little more time to do different things because people just don't know, um, you know, what you're going to do if if uh, they do something to you. So, to me, that's that's as, maybe as big as drawback. And then the other thing I keep harping on them about, and I'm sure Mikey Van Ryan says the same thing, is that the best shot of his. I mean. He's got to use it, and he's always looking to pass it off or to give it to somebody else. And when you've got a cannon like he has, I mean, he's got twice the shot that I had. I mean, uh, the length of his stick and uh, the way the puck comes off these new new sticks now, uh, he, he probably shoots the puck over 100 and something miles an hour. But uh, number one, he doesn't use it enough. And number two, he has a habit of uh, missing the net a lot. And um Jamie, I'm sure you've heard Gretz mention it a hundred times that um, you can't score if you don't hit the net. Well, that is true. That's for sure. Talking to Larry Robinson here on 101 ESPN. Larry, kind of going back to the mindset that you were talking about, how he needs to get meaner and how you kind of had those same things early in your career. I certainly was never an NHL player, but how, how do you do that? Because it, it sounds so easy. You just you become more angry. You change your mindset. But how do you actually go about doing that as a player? What needs to change tangibly for him to be able to become that style? Well, it, it is tough because it's not, it's not in his DNA. I mean, you talk to anybody that knows Colton, and he's just a great person both on and off the ice. And so you're not going to change the, the, the person that you are, and you shouldn't change the person that you are. But at the same time, uh, you, sometimes you just got to get a little madder and uh, you've got to uh, not take any crap. And, uh, I, and, and, the, and then the other thing is, is that uh, if, you don't, if you don't do that, then people are going to take advantage of you. So um, he's just got to get it in his mind that, uh, you know, well, there are times to play physical, there are times to play tough, and then there are times uh, just to go about uh, doing your own thing. 
Yeah, Larry, look, I agree. And you're absolutely right about Colton Pareko. He, his DNA is out of a very kind person. And, you know, sometimes that's hard to, I guess, fake yourself into being mean. But I do remember, I do remember a Larry Robinson who certainly set the tone with Dave Schultz when you beat the snot out of him that one time. <laughs> and you know what, Big Bird? You got some room after that one, that's for sure. And I think that, you know, Colton Pareko in today's game, he doesn't have to go out and grab Dave Schultz, okay? You and I both know that. But I would like to see him go out of his way every now and then to step up on somebody and put them in the seventh row. And then if they look at him sideways, like, let's be honest, Larry, he's not losing too many fights in the NHL with his size and strength. Oh, heavens no. With that reach, I mean, you'd, you'd need arms uh, six feet long in order to, to get back at him. Yeah, so, so, you know, I think that... I'm with you on that, Jay. I'm with, I'm with you, yeah. I'm yeah. with you on that one. So I think it's possible for him to add that. And so I, yeah. with Colton's ability, his skating ability and his shot, and you add just a little bit of sandpaper to that, to that game, and I think you have a real Norris Trophy kind of player available in the future. Um, now, one other guy I wanted to get into before uh, we let you go here in a little bit is a guy named Justin Falk. And Justin Falk came in to the organization. You know, obviously, you know the backstory. And last year was tough for – it was like musical chairs for Justin. It was hard for him to find the chair when the music stopped a lot of times based on his ice time or his opportunity on the left side, the right side, this partner, that partner. With Alex Petrangelo moving on to the Vegas Golden Knights, Colton Pareko being elevated to the top pairing, this is going to open up some room for Justin Falk on that right side on the blue line. What should we expect from Justin Falk? And in your, in, your opinion, in your opinion, what could he do better to help himself moving forward? Well, to me, to me I think Justin Falk is a, is, is a, uh, is a great uh, power play uh, defenseman because he, he, get, he gets the puck through. Uh, I, I think with, uh, with Justin, a lot of the times he plays – um, in key situations, in corners and around the net, with one hand on the stick and a little too loosey goosey, uh, where he could maybe learn to use his body a little more, free up his arms uh, to be able to get the puck. He doesn't. He, he's not. We're not going to change Justin, he's, especially at his age and this time of his career. But uh, he's got to learn to use his body a little better uh, to put himself in better situations to make plays and to make passes and uh, to do things like that. But uh, to me, I, I think he, he comes off, uh, he has this persona that um, he's a, a little too nonchalant. Now, whether he is or he isn't, I don't know. And maybe that'll change, like you say, given more ice time and given a different role and everything else. But, um, you know, I... I, I see that us having two really, really good pairings in, uh, especially with Krug coming on, uh, having two good pairings. I, uh, a lot of the times, uh, Justin was put in a position like it was sort of a flip flop with him and and uh, and Petro as to who was going to play on the left side. And in today's game, there's nothing worse for a defenseman than playing on your offside because you just don't, you do not have. Uh, enough time to grab the puck and make a play. Uh, you're always on your backhand, and when you're on your backhand, you know you you don't see the ice as well. So I, I think uh, with us have now having three left defensemen and 
and three right defensemen playing most of the time. Uh, I think that's going to be a big positive for us. Hockey Hall of Famer and 10-time Stanley Cup champion Larry Robinson joining us here on 101 ESPN. Final question that I had for you, Larry. You brought him up there briefly. A lot of Blues fans very excited about what Tory Krug's going to potentially bring to the team this year. Uh, what have you seen from yeah. him, and what do you believe that he can bring to this team in, in this upcoming season? Well, I mean, uh, you, you talk about one of the premier guys in the league that can run a power play. I mean, he's done a heck of a job, and he did a heck of a job in Boston. And, uh, you know, all they say, oh, well, he's not very – I'm telling you what, this kid, uh, when we played against him when we won the Cup, he didn't back down. And we've, we've got a big team, and we went after him, and that didn't deter him from his game at all. So that tells me that this kid's got – Big Hogan's, and uh, so he's uh, he's going to come to play every night. I think he uh, he's a great skater. He's a great first passer. He's uh, he's able to get uh, the puck out of uh, out of danger. So I uh, I I like uh, I like Tori a lot. I think he's he's going to bring a lot. Yeah, I think so too, Larry. He's going to be a tremendous addition for the Blues. And before I, I let you go, Larry, I wanted to take a minute because I wanted to thank you for something. And two things, actually. One, being able to watch you growing up was phenomenal to watch you at the Montreal Canadiens. Loved every time you played the game. And the other time, and you may, I'm listen, I know you don't remember this, but my father and I bumped into you at the Bank of Montreal one time. And I walked up and asked you for your autograph, and you gave it to me with a smile on on your face and I'll never forget it. That's and awesome. if if these guys here in St. Louis are able to pick your brain or just use you as a sounding board, man, what an advantage they have. So thank you for that, Larry. <laughs> My pleasure, Jamie. No, it's uh... I um I learned that uh, very early in my career from uh one of my idols who was Bobby Hull and and uh Bobby always took time to stop and and sign autographs and uh, always um, was very courteous to the fans, and uh, I, I, I too believe that you know, without the fans, there is no hockey. So uh, any time that you can uh, help the fans out, and I think that's the one thing that impressed me about about the the Blues players is that they always gave time uh, to the fans. They they uh, they took the time to stop and and sign autographs and everything, and I, so I, I think. I think the uh, the Blues players uh, deserve a lot of credit for the way that they uh, they um, are courteous to uh, the St. Louis fans. Once again, big thank you to Jeremy for sitting in with us tonight. Once again, I'm Alex Ferrario, and if you miss any of the show, 101ESPN.com or anywhere you get your podcast this week in hockey. For Joe Vitale and for Jeremy Rutherford, I'm Alex Ferrario. Have a great rest of your night, St. Louis. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music, and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes, from running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only, not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton, motivation that moves you.